All right, this is Jeff Grammer with the Albuquerque Journal and abqjournal.com, and we are giving a go with the podcasting. Um, this is our first one, a little bit of a test run here, and I'm no dummy. I decided to go ahead and get the most popular guy in town right now, and that's Paul Weir, the new men's basketball coach for the UNM Lobos, and just kind of have a conversation with him about how things have been going since he's been here, and also we had a recent series in the journal that I kind of want to go over some topics with him and get his thoughts on some of those topics and let's just get get into it, Paul. You've been here. You've been here since April. Um, just real general thoughts so far. I know some of this is repetitive, but you know how how has it been since you've been here in April? What's the reception been like? Uh, the reception I've got personally has been tremendous. Uh, the the interactions I've had with people in the community, fans, I mean players, just people around the program um, as well has been awesome. Uh, my wife's you know, been received tremendously. You know, we're having a blast so far. It's been really good. That the energy's been been awesome and something that we're trying to kind of build within ourselves, but but feeling it from other people too. So it's been an exciting time. It's not something you haven't been through before. Um, obviously, you've been coaching for quite a while in different um, capacities. Last year, you did go through the first time as a head coach. Yep. Any similarities between first time as a head coach a year ago at a different school um, to what you're going through now where you're the first time head coach at this school? A lot of similarities. Uh, you know, part of me getting the head coaching job in New Mexico State, I not only in the interview process, but then even in my own kind of trying to be my authentic self, had to separate myself. You know, Coach Menzies was awesome to me, gave me an amazing opportunity to learn and grow at New Mexico State, and, and, and I felt I gave him everything I had. But when it was time for me to become a head coach, I, I really wanted to go out and stand on my own two feet and be who I was and not try and, you know, maybe mimic things that he had done, even if they were successful. If I, it wasn't something I truly believed in in my core. So when I kind of set up a lot of things down there, there was a lot of new things that were very different, you know, and people were kind of confused and, you know, I thought everything was going to be kind of the same way. And it wasn't, you know, we really went out uh, and did a lot of our own things. Now there were some things that we obviously kept the same, but I kind of went through that process and, and this is even more so than that, you know, taking over a program that I didn't have a lot of familiarity with internally. So it's taken me a little bit more time to kind of maybe see where I need to make some more changes or maybe do some different things. As a first time head coach, what's the balance you struck or how did you try and strike a balance between keeping what you had been learning from Marvin? Cause it was a carrier sure. kind of situation where you were hired at least in part um, because you had been there some continuity. I mean, they, yep. they liked what was going on and they kept you there. So, do you feel sort of an obligation? Did you feel an obligation to carry over some stuff? Whereas here, maybe there is a more of a clean break. Do you feel any more freedom here to, to go ahead and do everything you want new as opposed to holding on to some things because they were working? Yeah, you know, I really felt as though um, in the interview process, I had to separate myself and distance myself. I think there were some things after all our years there, even after all the success, that there was maybe a little bit of monotony or some things that, you know, fans or, or people around the program wanted yeah, to see yeah, something the new. Yeah, numbers showed that. Exactly right. So so we had to do some some different things and, and approach things in a different way. And that's not to say that mine are better or, or even worse. It was just different, you know. And, and we went about some things differently, the way we trained, the style of play we adopted, how we were going to recruit. Um, a lot of things, you know, that were different um, than, than what happened the previous nine years. So um, I was used to that, you know, and making kind of those decisions and, and evaluating things and trying to do what you think is best for the program. And since I got here, that's all I've been doing. I probably wasn't able to swiftly just do A through Z because, you know, there's a there's a period of time where you're trying to accumulate as much information on the program here as you can, and that's what I've done. But as those things have kind of unfolded, there's just organically, I think, been a lot of changes along a very, 
you know, inconsistent timeline of just, hey, okay, this is the right thing to do now. You know, let's go and do it. All right, let's let's fast forward a little bit to where we are today in August. Obviously, since April, you know, fans have been getting to know you a little bit. What I was hoping to do, frankly, I was hoping to do this about a month ago. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I talked with you enough where I I had some ideas for some stories, and we decided to go with a four-part series in the journal that we called Weird Science. I'm guessing through the years you've had variations on your name. Oh, yeah. Started at a very young age. Don't worry about it. We were were going with that. That's so weird (laughs) until somebody... Uh, suggested weird science, which with the photo from um, a photographer at the journal, Roberto Rosales, who uh, I think kind of nailed the really the big picture of what we were going for in the story anyway, which is you, you have a plan. Um, a lot of fans here might be excited because they hear you say this or that one quote here, one quote there getting excited. And it is a new fresh start for the program, but I don't know if a lot of people really knew you and, and your big picture ideas mm-hmm. about how you approach things. So that's what I was hoping to show. Um, we, we did go four parts. We kind of went with one really key part people will see on the court, and that was the Run and Stun Press. Uh, we went with the body and wellness, the body and mind kind of aspect of what you want from your players. We also did the in the numbers. Um, I don't think this is as new. For some people hearing this, that your approach to numbers, they might think it's it's new, but a lot of people in college basketball are going this way. Um, while Ken Palm, who, who will – Ken Pomeroy – I'll, I'll mention here in a minute again, um, said you are ahead of the curve. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to portray this as you're the only guy. Exactly. Right, there are yeah. a lot of people in the sport going this route now. Um, and then really the most important part, I think, for the big picture of getting fans engaged is our final part, which we call fan engagement. And that's just your not just your hope that fans come back and not just your hope that, well, if we win, they'll come. That's a part of it, obviously. Sure. But you're trying to engage them, and you're trying to make them feel a part of all this. So I want to kind of touch a little bit on those four parts, not so much what I wrote in the paper, but just kind of reiterate from your perspective those four things on the court, run and stun. I talked with Kevin Mackey. Why mm-hmm. don't you kind of give a rundown? And, and again, let me let me say this too. Kevin Mackey's not the only coach you're going to be leaning yep. on for advice. He's just the one that I kind of gravitated to a little bit. Um, let's talk about the defensive side and the press. Are you – are you really committed to this run and stun press? Yeah, you know, when I took over the job at New Mexico State, um, and, and I've said this a number of times, um, we lost our, our best player to the NBA. There was one returning senior. Um, there wasn't a lot of expectations. It was supposed to be kind of a rebuilding year. Rookie coach, I think we were picked 160-something in the country. Uh, you know, expectations were quite low, and I needed to find something to get us. I think you guys weren't picked to win the WAC for the first yeah. time in a long time. So there was a lot going on, and, and I really – it was more out of survival, you know, just trying to survive and make our team the best it can be. It was a lot of sleepless nights and trying to figure out how can this team be really good, and um, that was eventually what I gravitated to, building a team that was going to play a lot of players very – very fast, up and down, you know, get in very good shape, um, really spend a lot of time on our culture and, and adopt a, a full court, you know, team. Um, you know, fortunately, we, we had success, especially early, which is something we I think we needed to continue to do it. I hired an assistant coach um, who, you know, had worked at VCU and he, he was able to bring in some things I was able to learn from and we were able to implement. And it started to kind of grow. Um, did we do it all year long the way I had hoped or envisioned? Probably not. You know, there's some stretches. You know, we had a, a lot of injuries, um, you know, to, to very key players that we lost throughout the course of the year that hurt our depth. Um, and there was a part there in the middle of the year where we kind of backed off a little bit. And then towards the end of the season, we kind of got back to it. Regrettably so? Um, at the time, I felt it was our. It gave us our best chance to win. You know, when we were down to that really short rotation. When I mean, I think we ended up losing. 
I think we had nine scholarship players at one point, you know, like it was just, it was a thin roster and um, my loyalty is winning more than anything else. So um, that was kind of how this whole thing started. And as that kind of grew, you know, I just did a lot of research, you know, watched a lot of different teams last fall play and how they played at that time. I mean, I watched Rick Pitino's Kentucky teams. I mean, you name it, just a lot of different programs that pressed and trapped that way. Came across Kevin Mackey then, uh, talked to Kevin about it. Um, and then, you know, went through the year, you know, coached it last year, did it, um, got to know it defensively. And then when I got here, um, and I first got here, it was obviously something I wanted to do, but our team probably wasn't built to do it. I think as players moved on and we were able to bring in new guys, we were looking to fill players that could fit in that kind of a system. Called Kevin, saw how this was unfolding. He came out um, for a couple of days, um, spent a bunch of time with him, and now are building towards that right now. What's the difference between, and, and we don't need to get two X's and O's here, but I want to delve a little bit into it. What's the difference between the havoc that VCU runs and the run and stone and the 40 minutes of hell that Arkansas? Not, not very much. Okay. Not very much. I mean, there's, you know, I think, you know, and Kevin will tell you, I think every coach has to make it their own. Okay. You know, there, there are obviously, there's a lot of, you know, whether you call it a 50-50 decision or anything else, there's a lot of coaching decisions coaches make um, across every platform of, of how you want to do something. And there's multiple ways to do it. And inevitably that comes in, in, in pressing as well, whether it's how you want to trap or where you want to trap or what you're doing one pass away or two pass. I mean, there's a lot of different things you can do. And I think each coach needs to kind of find the way that they feel comfortable. Because the end of, at the end of the day with a press, you are going to get beat and you are going to get scored on and you are going to give some things up that you're doing because you are pressing and trapping and playing that way. And I guess how you want to do that is is something that each coach lives with in their own ways. Obviously, the high risk, high reward is, exactly. is what the press is all about. Exactly. You obviously hope the uh, reward outweighs that risk. So. No question. Um, but you are committed. You're you're at this point still we're all one hundred percent. West Virginia is the only team doing it to that percentage right now. You're yep. how close to West Virginia are you guys going to be? Uh, to be quite honest with you, and again, this isn't me trying to say anything sexy or anything like that. I don't think we have a choice. You know, I think based on where we're going to get picked in our league the expectations people are going to have based on who we've lost and, and newcomers coming in. Like we're going to have, it's very similar to the, the job I faced a year ago. We're going to be picked very low. Uh, people are going to think it's a rebuilding, reloading year for a rookie coach or whatever they want to say. And I feel as though it isn't just this. We have to tap into a lot of things from a conditioning standpoint, from a culture standpoint, from a confidence standpoint. There's a lot of things we have to tap into to overcome, you know, those, those I guess, disadvantages we have or, or gaps. I didn't go too much in what I wrote about on the offensive side. You are going to be putting up some more threes, but mm-hmm. you, you have – the tools to do that you have shooters yep. a little bit more than last year is that is that correct yeah I mean that was something that we you know when you play fast and we got into the lineups that we really like to use last year at New Mexico State like that's inevitably how it started to form there too is really spread the floor and 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 try and attack from there we had some really good shooters that we were able to you know utilize and it really you know propelled me to think like okay as I start to build this going forward this is how we want to start to build it. It's going to be the defensive pressure, and then it's going to be the offensive really fast pace with the ability to shoot the three-point shot. And I think if we have both of those going, and, and Kevin Mackey's the one that, that you know even talked about that as well. Like That's what Patino really tried to do. Patino well, took their system defensively, and 
as he was building those Kentucky teams, that I'm going to do it with shooters, and we're going to shoot threes on offense, and we're going to pressure on defense. And that allows you, for, for guys like me that like to keep pointing out to people that you guys are still undersized, um, and, and you have picked up some size since then too, But since I started saying yeah. that. But overall, you guys are still an undersized we team are. if you just go by heights. But it, it then comes down to who's actually playing and who you're playing against, all that kind of stuff. This team, though, um, is it because is any of this because you're undersized that you're you're going to be putting up so many threes? For, and, for and sure, okay. I think. Yeah, I, again, like I said, if we if if I inherited a team that was picked first in the league with a, a first team All Conference center that weighed 280 pounds, we'd be having a different conversation. You know, I, I think every coach. Uh, their loyalty is to is to winning, so they have to put the you know put the best system they can for the players they have. So whereas a Kevin Mackey is locked into this concept of run and stun, and and other coaches, their identity a lot comes with their strategy and their style of coaching. Yep, it seems like you're not necessarily that way. You happen to be a run and stone coach this year because it's what makes this team or gives this team its best chance. Yep. Do you have a style that you'd like to? hang your hat on it will I mean, be this you know that's what i'm saying i think now the players we've added this summer and the players we plan on adding going forward are going to fit the system they're going to be able to play up and down they're like every single player we've added i mean i don't know what it is now eight or nine they can all shoot the three-point shot every one of them uh and i think i think every one of them fits into this system so, so you will recruit to this in exactly the future right. too it wasn't exactly just a right. this year thing exactly what was right. available that's okay. the plan yep now to do this, we'll move on to the the second part of what I wrote about was was sort of the body and wellness and body and mind kind of aspect of what you have these players doing. It's not just um, for the sake of getting them in better shape, just because that's what yep. everyone thinks is a, a good idea. You're doing it pretty specifically because they're not going to be able to run this style yep. um, successfully without having their bodies prepared. Let's talk a little bit, if you don't mind, about your thoughts on why you're doing some of the things you're doing, starting with. You know, the photo we used was was the hot yoga. Sure. Um, again, something other schools are doing. Yeah. You, you didn't exactly exactly break through on this, but not a lot of them at the college level are doing it. Why? Why? Why is yoga something important to you and your players? Um, well, the the first part of it is um, the the work capacity. You know, and that's you know I hired a new strength coach named Tyler Stewart from University of Florida, and I brought him in here specifically because you know University of Florida is probably one of the top five programs in the country as far as um, sports medicine and health science and all the different things that they're doing over there from blood testing to training to they're very cutting edge and they spend a lot of money and resources on their program being um, at the top of the food chain so getting him here was very important to me because he's been under Billy Donovan he's been with Larry Scheid he's been with player you know teams that have played this style he knows how to train for this style and the first thing we talked about you know was increasing our work capacity so these players and our players going forward have to learn how to train more harder and longer and play more harder and longer and to do that obviously requires an intense training program so we knew we were going to increase our training program and there's obviously always going to be a by there's going to be a, um, a, a symptom a byproduct whatever to that in order to allow them to keep training that way we had to really change our nutrition our recovery um, our flexibility, our injury prevention, all those kinds of things. And that's where a lot of these other things come into play. It's allowing them, if we're really monitoring their nutrition and their vitamin supplements and their weigh-ins, um, and we incorporate yoga and meditation and other things, that will allow them the next day to hopefully train at the same level we want to. At what point, where did you come across all this and, and be convinced in your mind 
that this was the right approach physically. I mean, yoga people have known about, but not everybody yep. thinks it's worth doing. Yeah. At what point in your coaching career did you say, you know, yoga is something I'm going to do when I'm a head coach. I'm going to make my players. Last do it. year. Yeah. So last year, yeah, we added, when I got to Mexico State last year, you know, we did a lot of new things. Like we, we trained in the pool, we ran in the sand, um, we did yoga. We did a lot of new things that our program hadn't done before. And when I, I going forward, I really became a believer in it. Um, and again, not all the effects are, are met like immediately. It just could be a mind thing. And, and in the middle of February, the players are just a little bit more relaxed and less bored or stale by the season you know just things to continue to stimulate their brain to where we can go out and continue to play hard with a lot of effort so the stimulating the brain is another big part of this kind of approach that you have where you are hanging these quotes around the office sure I'm still waiting to see the you know the kitten hanging from the tree, the hanging there, and these inspirational things that I'm I'm just waiting for you to have one that's really cheesy. I've important. heard there's like I've just came across like uh, like goat yoga. I'm I'm kind of intrigued. So goat yoga, yeah, like you, you do here. yoga is... like with goats and like these like like they actually like start like standing on you and like. I mean, we're, we're exploring new things every you're, day. You're not that really mean, thinking I, about I'm that. serious. I'm so like, you're looking in. You really look. We're looking it. into it right now. I don't know how you know feasible it's going to be to pull well, somebody off. Somebody sent you a sent, yeah, exactly. Sent you a link to exactly. Up on this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're looking into that. we look into <laughs> things every day. So maybe some Lobo yoga. Maybe you can actually get some ch- trained. There you go, a trained wolf. Yeah, wolf. So, but um, yeah, stuff. So yeah, you are into the the mental aspect of it too, and and getting them to think from from the quotes you hang on the yep, walls yep. to the furniture, which, which you know. People may or may not like it, but the bigger picture yeah. wasn't just, hey, I like this furniture. It was you wanted them to break the mold of what they were thinking exactly. and seeing every day. So you changed the furniture. You know, you yep. started at the at the core and painted the walls and changed yep. the furniture. Let's talk about that a little bit. Why, why is changing the furniture and just that something you did right off the bat? You know, the first coach I was ever fascinated by when I first got into coaching was Jimmy Johnson. Jimmy Johnson was, was um, someone I was fascinated by, and I've read a lot of books on him. Um, studied a lot of people um, that have come into contact with him and just learned. And and he was one of the first probably famous coaches that really bought into the mind, you know, and he had a background in it. He read about it. um, And he was as much a motivator as anything he did coaching wise, strategy wise. It was about culture and motivation and psychology. And he was the first one. And there's a, there's a book called flow. that was like the first psychology book I ever read. And then later when I went to do my sports psychology degree at Iowa, um, got into Pete Carroll and learned about like Pete Carroll actually taking it to a completely next level. Um, and, and the, I mean, he even goes as far as to teach his players about the prefrontal cortex and all these different parts of the brain so that they really became almost students of what he was believing in. Um, you know, he was into Maslow's hierarchy, the whole kind of thing, you know, I mean, Carol took it to another level and, you know, me as just a young coach was like, shoot, if Jimmy Johnson's doing it and Pete Carroll's doing it, and these are probably two of the most 10 successful coaches in the last 20 years in this country, they're onto something. And, and it propelled me into studying it myself, you know, and like, just like the Kevin Mackey and, and the pressing, I think each coach has to find his own like sweet spot of like, okay, how much of this do you want to use? And how much do you not want to use? And how much do you believe or not? And how do you want to utilize it? And that's something I'm still working on, you know, like to what extent when I introduced meditation, I did it for the first time. We didn't do meditation last year when I was at Mexico state, but I introduced meditation for the first time to these guys um and 
just kind of lightly broached it. Like I'm new to this a little bit too, you know, like let's, let's, let's try this. And if you don't like it, don't, don't do it. But where I'm going to end up with meditation, I don't know. It might be something six months from now. I say, you know what? I don't want to do it anymore. Six months from now, I'm going to go all in on this. You know, I think it's just like an open book to me of like where we're going to go with it and how much we're going to utilize. Um, but I obviously am a, am a believer in it. I've subscribed not only to the success of Jimmy Johnson and Pete Carroll, but I've, I've seen it, I've done it. Um, in different ways, and and hopefully we'll be able to continue to utilize it here as well. How much of this are you doing? Are you you doing you trying any meditation? I did. Have you um, done any yoga? I started in Egypt. When I was in Egypt, was where it first got dawned on me. It was by uh, an international team over there that that um, when you were just to be clear, when you were coaching with the uh, exactly the junior national yeah. team for Canada. Yeah, it was really cool. I, when I was over there, I got to sit with you name it, George Raveling, John Calipari. I mean, all these kind of coaches that were there. And there's a lot of foreign coaches in different countries that are very interesting and different things that they do. And I was able to just pick brains of a lot of people. We were all kind of landlocked in a hotel so because there were like security concerns no one was really going out so for two and a half weeks we you know you had whatever 30 coaches and 300 players all just interacting in a hotel all the time so I got to really kind of have some neat conversations with people and that's where meditation started and uh, the idea of it and I just kind of kept thinking about it working on it Um, and when I got back here actually while I was there was when I sent um, a group message to everyone on the team. And I actually sent them an app, um, called Mindspace. And I said, Hey, our headspace. And I said, um, just check out this app guys. I'm, I'm not back for another week or two. Just give this a shot. If you like it, you don't, don't worry about it. Just kind of learn about it together. Exactly. Too. Right. And, and then I got back and then, um, a coach I had met over there sent me an article on Kobe Bryant doing meditation through Phil Jackson. Like Phil Jackson introduced Kobe to it. So I sent that to the players. And then a few days later, I think some of them came back going, hey, this is really cool. I enjoy this. Thanks so much. Um, and I think a few of them have kind of grabbed onto it, and probably a few others have just said, you know. This, but I guess this with all this stuff, if, if two or three guys. That's exactly, sort of, that's exactly my thought, yeah. If, if it connects with one guy, it's worth yeah. it. Whatever the the, the – the strategy happens to be whether it's meditation or a training thing or something in the office or whatever. All right. So that takes me then uh, we'll go ahead and move forward to the next part of all this, which is um, I called it in the numbers, but it is the advanced analytics and advanced metrics that college coaches are, are using a lot of the college coaches that have really gone all in on using advanced metrics and not just traditional box score statistics are are the assistants there's, there's not a lot of head coaches that are out there right now Very talking much about so. it. you're right um it's I tough to get through to them well i, I it, well that's my, kind of my question is it tough to get through to them or are they just not able to really articulate why they're being used so they just stick with the familiar yeah. points per game rebounds per game kind of thing or or is it more than that is it the head coaches are the more traditionalists and the assistants that don't have as much to lose frankly sure are the ones that are willing to try these new uh, concepts and, and really push the envelope on some of this stuff. And where do you fall on on what stats are important to this program? Yeah, um, I mean, the one thing I'll say is I, I think you're right. I think there's a lot of head coaches that are resistant to it. And inevitably, if you look at, hey, you know, with the, with the coaching turnover and the kind of the instability of our business, the, the, the coaches that are still Division One successful head coaches have been doing it for a very long time, and they've been successful – at their model for a very long time and rightfully so exactly right now you know I think a coach that may have been let go that got a new job might be thinking okay I gotta think about some different things but those coaches are are hall of famers and, and tremendous basketball minds that 
you know, like I said, quite frankly, probably don't need to like look at our things. They're doing a heck of a job the way that they're doing it right now. And I don't, I don't, I don't think anyone would, would want to question that. You're not so calling think, up coach Kane saying, Hey, look, exactly right. You're not exactly call right. They're, they're, Egypt they're the best at what they do, you know? So, um, and they should be, you know, continuing to kind of do a lot of great things that they do. So I think that's part of it. Um, I think a lot of assistants are just kind of sitting around thinking of new things and new ways to do it. At New Mexico State, I was in charge of our defense for a very long time, and I was intrigued by it. And I really was the only one on our staff that was intrigued by it. So I was able to contract out somebody that was feeding me information uh, going into every game. So they would do a lot of stats, and I went through about a two-year period where I worked with somebody, and I'd ask for them stuff that they give me. And it was kind of like my own introduction into it. And I would use it. And when I became a head coach, I hired him and, and brought him on our staff. And it was probably the first time that's been done in a long time. It really started in my mind reading an article on Brad Stevens. He was the first college basketball coach to ever hire someone full-time at a Division One level that was into analytics. And I remember telling myself, if I ever became a head coach, I was going to do the same darn thing. So when I became a head coach at New Mexico State for the first time, you know, that's what I did. I've been exploring – the possibility of doing that here i've yet to kind of finish that um you know there's kind of some hurdles here i'm actually trying to sell our department on possibly doing something like that for everyone to take advantage of but i haven't actually got around to it but we will have you know analytics in some capacity if i have to contract it out like i did before then we may do that the the concept of using this though for the for the basketball fan who, who loves their Lobo basketball yep. but doesn't dive yep. as much yep. into yep. what the word even analytics really means when it comes to basketball is is there a you know, analytics for dummies or, or, or a dumbed down version of just a real basic way you can explain the difference between analytics and what has been going on for 50 years. Sure. Um, you know, the best book I could recommend would be basketball on paper by Dean Oliver. It's kind of like the, the foundational book for a lot of this. And the, I read it many years ago and it kind of creates a lot of other things. That's what Ken Palm is kind of built on. It's called these four factors and what basic analytic people will tell you is the four factors that, that, that determine a game are field goal percentage, offensive rebound percentage, um, free throw percentage and enough, percentage of which time you're getting to the free throw line and turnover percentage. So analytic analytical people are, or people that prescribe to that are constantly trying to control those factors. Um, and there's a lot of other stats that go into different things and even into those, but um, that's where a lot of this started. And then since then you've had a lot of analysts, there's an MIT Sloan uh, conference every February. Um, you know, obviously baseball started a ton of this, yeah. but a lot of like mathematicians, statistics, you know, statisticians, whoever have now analyzed different parts of the game. And that could be lineup combinations. That could be shooting charts. That could be shot blockers. That could be all kinds of different things and how these different elements of the game come to impact success and, and you use it in the past a little bit more for opponent scouting than in when i started it was opponent scouting and then last year at new mexico state it was still a lot of opponent scouting we did some lineup stuff as well i think each team probably has its own needs depending on the skill set of your analyst sure. and then also you know what your team is maybe good at or got not good at and what you want to be able to control you know when you play a lot of guys and play fast paced it's really hard to um get always the right matchups on the floor and lineups and things like that so that one is a little bit more difficult when you're playing this way because I'm subbing more because Sam Logwood's tired not because I'm trying to get Sam Logwood you know I mean that's just part of it and that's how it unfolded a little bit with us so we kind of morphed into some other things last one on the numbers then um is there a stat or two that 
either fans should maybe interested fans that that want to do this should maybe start looking at a little bit more this season that might right now in your mind be what you would say would determine your success or failure this season is there one or two stats that you know if if the lobos are good it's because our offensive rebounding percentage yeah, was yeah, yeah. was higher very like good that. point i mean i think you know i i think our overall how our team is going to be is is set or how we want to do but how that's going to really flesh out is kind of remains to be seen like we have um, i guess wide open you know that and i'm going to show them the depth chart saturday night there's no one on the depth chart every spot's up for grabs every minute's up for grabs and i think you know if we end up playing three guards and so and so at the four you know that's going to maybe dictate okay like rebounding is going to be a really big issue for us if we end up playing bigger on the wings and guards you know like than that made you know there's there's a lot sure. of different kind of things that could still kind of flesh out for this team and I don't want to pigeonhole myself and say hey like the rebounding percentage is going to be the number one thing in our mm-hmm. team or the turnover percentage or getting to the free throw line or until we kind of look at okay th- these are going to kind of be our core guys and this is their strengths and weaknesses fair enough in August but you know I'll be asking I understand something. yeah uh, and I should know that question by October okay. you know that's on me to know and as you know I'm I, I look at Ken Palm not only daily, but multiple times a day during the season. So um, maybe now that the, the coach of the Lobos that I'm covering uh, does some of these numbers too, um, maybe fans won't be giving me as hard there you go. hard time for uh, always mentioning Ken Palm numbers. Uh, last part of this was really the biggest part in a lot of people's mind. When you think of the big picture of success of a program, yes, winning is part of it, obviously, but success of a program, especially at a place like New Mexico and, and with UNM, with Lobo basketball, has been the fans. Mm-hmm. Um, the fan engagement here, I mean, it's all relative. They, the average last year did dip below 12,000 and outside the top 25 in average home attendance. But 12,000 fans, a lot of people in this country would, would just absolutely love, love, but it's not what was the norm here sure. for a long time. What was your approach when you took the job to – to getting those fans back did you did you kind of have a plan or is this just sort of off the cuff when you see somebody you you ask them to come out to games or, or do you kind of have a a more specific plan and what you're trying to do to get the fans back in the pit yeah I mean we meet once a week you know with with uh marketing staff and internally about you know the thing what how our initiatives are doing what what we plan on doing um I have ideas they have ideas things that have come from random people I bump into someone in a grocery store and hey what about this and we throw it up for you know at our next meeting so we're constantly throwing around ideas ideas to to do that um and those like the reality is there's no magic bullet to any of this you know i think if, even if you look at steve when he first got here like it took time you know and i think you know I, we all have to be patient and, and realize that as long as we're doing the right things that doesn't mean we're going to go get a bump of a thousand season tickets the following day like it just might not happen by november 11th it might take till february 11th it might take till november 11th 2018 you know like i don't i don't want to put pressure on a revenue number or an attendance number i'd love them to be high i'm not going to sit here and say that i wouldn't but i don't want any of that to necessarily define the things that we're doing because a lot of the stuff that i want us to do right now are really just grassroots kinds of things that hopefully in time will kind of spawn into something greater and by grassroots types of things it's you're actually you know feet on the ground you're going to be walking campus a little bit you're going to be going to some sorority houses fraternity houses you in the first week met with the the football team which people it's a little inside baseball but I I think some people um realize that the fact that the Lobo basketball coach went and talked to the Lobo football team sure I'll say it even if if nobody else wants it's a podcast man we can get a little out there you know um 
that was big that the Lobo basketball coach talked to the Lobo football team and what's been going on around here for years. Um, that was pretty big in a lot of ways. And you're doing that where you're reaching out to them. You're not mm-hmm. waiting for them to come to you. Um, I did talk with Pamela Pyle, the, the president of the faculty Senate. She said she hasn't had a coach reach out to them and say, can I come talk to you? Mm-hmm. Uh, so you did that with the staff council um, and faculty Senate. Why was it important? Let, let, let's just stick to that side of it, the faculty senate and the staff council. Why was it important for you to go talk to the people who work on campus um, so quickly after you were hired? Well, I mean, first off, academics is important to me. Uh, I'm doing my Ph.D. right now in educational leadership. And, yeah, and I me, would say – Let's run down your degrees. Right now. I know you don't <laughs> like doing this early. But for those that don't know yet, you, you, do, you have a B.A., three masters, and you're on your doctorate, right? There you go, yeah. Um, not bad. Let's leave it at that. Okay. Um, but anyways, uh, and, and I, I, and I don't, I didn't want to say that I do. It's more just the fact that, um, uh, right know, now, that's me. That's me. my PhD is in higher ed, you know, and, and higher educational leadership and ev- every class I've taken, every, um, seminar we've had class discussions, anything has just centered around things in higher ed, whether it's, um, athletics, whether it's leadership budget, um, academic mission statements. I mean, there, there's so many things that go into it, and I spent a lot of time on it. And as I've done it and gone through this program, I've just created an immense amount of respect for a higher education institution and what it stands for. And it's allowed me, being from an athletic world, to really you know look up and admire a lot of these athletic, I'm sorry, academic not just faculty members, staff members, administrators, leaders, um, regents, you name it. I mean, a lot of people are committed to, to, to an entity like this. And, um, I, and I did that at New Mexico State. I spent a lot of time kind of connecting with those people. And when I got here, the last thing I wanted was for anyone on that side of the house to feel as though I'm not appreciative of what they do or respect the job that they do. And, and they were as important um, a um, demographic or or constituency, I guess you could say, that I wanted to get to as anybody. It seems like not only do you want to, to get to them, but you, you had mentioned to me a month or so ago, there's some great people on this campus. I mean, between the cancer center and the hospital, no and question. The school, um, but also the students. I mean, the, the next generation of these professors and, and great people, great minds in their fields, a lot of them are students right now, but you have that too. Yep. And that's what athletics is in their fields, in, in the athletic realm at least, aside from what they're also studying academically. Um, and you, you had mentioned to me something that I thought was interesting about, you know, let's get them together somehow. Um, let's see what a, a great piano student yeah, yeah. Might, might do when, you know, interacting more with a, with a great athlete of some sort. What, what's your what's your thought process in trying to do that and why why do you think that's so important to maybe get some athletes interacting a little more with some of the the greats in their academic field yeah no i actually mentioned that when i met with the faculty senate i I mean i consider our faculty members and and people you know that work in our university to me among the brightest and best you know in the state in the world in the country whatever however you want to say it and they're gifted at what they do and i want to learn from them and if they want to learn from me great but if not that's okay but i i met with tens of, of, of professors at New Mexico State. And some of them are, were among my greatest mentors. Mark Medoff at New Mexico State is still among probably my most key mentor in life, you know, and, and knows not, you know, doesn't know anything about basketball. We never talk about basketball, but hey, he's someone he that's do? there for that. Um, he, is in, he is in the drama department drama. Uh, at NMSU and a very gifted kind of producer, director, 
Um, and he's tremendous. Uh, the, the, the books he's had me read and the conversations we had have been as probing to me as any that I've ever had. And, and I would hope to, you know, foster those same relationships with professors here that I would get to meet in time and, and have very talented people come to speak to our team and, and meet with us and things like that. So I, I view them that way. And I think in their own departments, they have very gifted people as well. I'm sure there's very talented mathematicians in our math department, musicians in the music department, however you want to do it. And they're gifted at what they do. And I hope that our faculty members and people in those areas look at our student athletes the same way, you know, and that they are very gifted at what they do. And they're very talented athletes. Some of them are amazing students as well. And I would hope that they look at those athletes in that light and not in one of disdain as far as something that's either draining or hurtful to the academic mission or whatever. They're talented in their own way, the same way some of those other students are talented. It may not be traditionally the same, but I hope that all them can kind of recognize each other and not only that they recognize a great track and field uh, national champion um, but that the, the national track and field champion recognizes the talented um, you know young doctor you know or whoever it may be and that's what I hope we can all kind of look at each other as not necessarily um, adversaries or it's one over the other or this is draining from that budget and that drains from this budget but we're all just very talented individuals in different realms let's let's appreciate each other and maybe even learn from each other I forget what the UNM going uh mantra is right now it's the all we're all one or we're stronger when we're one whatever it is each of us all defines us all is that right each of us defines us all so you're the you're the one new on the job trying to put it on a t-shirt right now are you really it's either it is each of us defines all of us each of us defines all of us there you go um so that said like athletics for a long time at unm um it's it's south campus it's almost like its own entity very its good own, point its own physical entity and separated physically from the rest of campus but you're it sounds like pretty open not only to inviting the main campus if you will back to being a part of south campus but there, there's a part of making sure that south campus athletics is open to to saying we're we aren't our own thing we are a part of the big the big picture here is is that fair to say yeah and and those physical barriers are hard you know like it, it's 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 not easy to overcome i mean there are some campuses um that you'll go to around the country and a lot of it's just kind of all connected it's all in a community the streets go through neighborhoods and then you're in the camp like there's a lot that goes on and the reality is athletics is like physically separated so you know to overcome that i think we have to just double our efforts to try and reach out and connect with the people um, that aren't, you know, where we are here now physically. You know, we want to do something at Johnson Gym this year. We want to get out on campus and do as much as we possibly can. And like I said, is that going to mean that all of a sudden we do some things this fall and, you know, a thousand students, you know, show up on, on opening night? Probably not or maybe not. Um, but I think as long as we just do the right things, you know, we talk about basketball, about the score taking care of itself or the process and things like that. I think, you know, our community engagement is the same thing. Like I'm, we're not going to worry about the return turn on immediate investment like let's just do all the right things all the things that we can say hey you know what we've, we're reaching out we're engaging we're trying to make ourselves accessible we're trying to connect with people and let's let those other things take care of itself if it happens in year one great if it happens in year three then we'll take it you know like whatever those end up leading to whether it's doing a camp in santa fe doing something with students whatever it ever ends up happening i'm hopeful that they will happen in time i just don't know when that time's going to be sounds good i think that's sort of the big picture of of your I guess your big picture thoughts on how you're going to be running the program. Is there anything that certainly not everything was covered just to, you know, we scraped the surface on what we wrote over the last several days, but 
anything really that you think is important that people know about how you're approaching your job as Lobo basketball coach that hasn't really gotten out there yet? You know, the, the only downside to, to the articles that you did or even this conversation is I think, you know, some people may attribute, you know, one particular thing we're doing to just having so much greater importance than the sure. next, you know. Like Kevin and, Mackey. I mean, that's that's really just one piece of exactly. it. Exactly. And the analytics and everything, you know, and like someone saying, oh, well, you know, this team is good because they do analytics. Or, man, they lost because coach is too worried about the number. And, like, we, you know, work on – you know, Toyota has um, a saying, I think it's Kaizen, where like they're trying to make 10,000 little improvements to some to their business operations every year. They're not about big changes. They're about just little improvements all yep. along the way. And that's all we're trying to do. We're trying to find 10,000 little things to improve on and hope that in time that leads to greater things. And there's really no one thing that's going to define us. It's, it's the conglomeration. It's building a compounding effect and trying to find as many little things around the program, whether it's in our players and our recruiting and our our training and our community engagement and our ticket sales and whatever, and trying to find every little edge we can, every little improvement we can to, to push this whole thing forward. And saying it's about one thing for us really goes counterintuitive to everything we're about. We're about trying to find a little thing each day that we can do better. It could be moving a garbage can. You know, it could be anything to where, like, we're going to be more efficient and we're going to be better as a program. And I just hope that, you know, people – and, again, the, the part of these things are part of us, but they don't necessarily over, you know, attribute one thing to our success or potentially our lack of success. So come – Say January, you guys maybe lose a conference game where you shot eight for twenty eight at the exactly free throw line. Right. You don't want me asking you. Well, maybe you shouldn't have spent so much time in the yoga exactly studio. Right. And exactly right. And that's and that's 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 the downfall of this kind of stuff. And 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 I get it. Hey, at the end of the day, um, I could do it a different way, and we could do it very basic, and we could do you know, the, the, the cornerstones of basketball and just be very basic and very rigid and, and maybe it could be successful. And, and unfortunately that's not me. And I think every coach, um, you know, has a responsibility to be authentic to themselves. I think that's really the only way you can be successful is just being who you are. And this is just part of who I am. I still want our team to play really hard, play really tough, be physical, be aggressive, um, all those kinds of things. But I don't think that, always has to be coupled with old school and other things as well. I think you can be modern in certain areas, but yet still hold kind of some traditional values to make you successful. And I guess that's the weird blend of me. There, there's an old school side of things of, of how I want us to be, but maybe there's maybe a, you know, a new school approach to trying to get there. Doesn't make it the right way by any means, just makes it my way. And, and the, I think the big message that maybe I was hoping to get across, um, and that's all in the eyes of the reader, I guess, but is the way you approach things mentally and, and the thought process behind things is that it is different. You are trying some things. It is with a plan, but you know, just because you're doing yoga doesn't mean you're saying yoga is what's going to fix exactly right. basketball. Yes. Um, if it's even broken, um, it's, it's just a the transitions period for, for um, starters, but you, you do approach things and you do want them thinking of things just differently yep. and being willing to challenge themselves and what they've thought about. Very much so. All right. Sounds good. Well, I appreciate the time on this. Um, in the future, I think we're going to try and do a little more regular. Podcasting. We need a title. By the next time I come up. I'm telling you. I, 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 need, I need a label. All right. I, I think I'm going to go with talking grammar or speaking grammar or something like that. Maybe 
grammar talk, grammar talking or something, because um, I am talking a lot here. So I'll, I'll shut up now and wrap things up. But Paul, I appreciate it. I, I do think there are a lot of people that have responded to what we've written and, and the feedback we've gotten at the journal is people are excited. You haven't coached yeah. the game yet. Let's no, be, exactly. It's been be great. Honest, let's be honest. The, the, <laughs> the narrative around the department and athletics at UNM has, has been has been rough. I mean, it's rough, you know, since I got here. So I think anything we can all do to kind of start to move forward um journal included to be honest with you to where we can all just kind of productively go forward and that doesn't mean that if something comes out that you guys need to report you don't report um and that doesn't mean that if something the journal does i don't appreciate i may say something too but for now i think all of us working together is just helpful for everybody whether it's campus whether it's media whether it's athletics you know just trying to trying to go forward as a as a group and and uh make everything positive for everybody i appreciate it let's uh do on a regular basis. I'm going to try and get somebody for, from around the program. It won't always be you, but yeah. you know, it, as much as you guys are willing, I'm going to try and get some assistant coaches, some players, some people maybe behind the scenes that fans be awesome. have, have never heard about. But just to kind of put a not a face on a on a name, but a voice, I guess at least on a name. There's some um, talented people around here. It, it, it'd be great. I think it'd be very informative too for the listeners. Let's do it. I appreciate that, Paul. Thank you very much. Um, I guess until next time, I thank you guys for listening.